What's going on, everybody? Got a quick question for you. Do you know anybody that's worked with Sir Elton John or Elon Musk or sent people down to see the wreck of the Titanic on the seabed or closed museums in Florence for a private dinner party and then had Andrea Pocelli serenade them while they eat their pasta? Well, you do now. Quoted as a real-life Wizard of Oz by Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazine, Steve Sims is a best-selling author with Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. He's a sought-after coach and a speaker at a variety of networks, groups, and associations, as well as the Pentagon and Harvard. Twice! He's known for making things happen that you would normally think are impossible. Today, we're going to hear a couple cool stories. He's going to talk about some really cool shit, and he's been able to do and what he's been able to do. But more importantly, we're going to get to know the mindset behind making things happen so you can do that for yourself in whatever way that you want. So Steve, thanks for taking the time to be here today, my man. It's a pleasure. So I know you come from humble beginnings, man. Can you give us some context into who you are? Yeah, I came from a working class background. Uh, left school at the age of 15 into my dad's construction firm which consisted of basically him and my other family members, his brother and my cousins and my, my granddad. And uh, just at the age of 16 years old, 15, 16, that was my life. You know, that, that was it. That's what it was supposed to be. I was born just outside of London um, and just was on the building sites, getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning and going home at 8 o'clock at night, um, you know, wet, dirty, smashed up, beaten up, cut, and was aggravated. And like all entrepreneurs, and here's, here's the funny thing about entrepreneurs, me and you, we're very, very different, okay? Looks, style, age, tons of things about us could tell us that we could never connect. But the fact that we've got that entrepreneurial spirit in us means we can be in the room and we can chat for hours. You see, that's the daft thing about entrepreneurs. You don't have to get on with them because they're your age. You know, you could be 18 years old talking to an 88-year-old. If you share the entrepreneurial aggravation, then that unites us. And that's why whenever we go to an event full of real entrepreneurs, not entrepreneurs, not the ones that are trying to buy into the fad just for that yellow Lamborghini bullshit, the real entrepreneurs out there, that's why we feel at home when we get together. You know, you, you mentioned the, the yellow Lamborghini bullshit. You, there's a part in your Have book. Have you got a yellow Lamborghini? Yes, I do. <laughs> there's a part in your book where you mentioned how you pull up to this like Ferrari event and you took one of the most embarrassing pictures of, of your life in front of a yacht. Can you, can you explain like, why yeah, was not, that? That's nice of you to bring that up. Um, so, uh, for anyone that, you know, anyone that's listening to this and can't see this, you know, I'm 245 pound of biker always have been from a, from a young lad. I started riding bikes like, 13, 14 years old, and I've always been on two wheels. There's never been a year of my life where I haven't been on two wheels. Um, in fact, today I'm 55 years old, living outside of uh, Los Angeles, and I don't have a car. I just have a collection of motorcycles, and every day I'm out and I'm on the bike. Um, but in in middle of my career, not maybe not the middle, but a good eight years into me being the guy that worked with millionaires and billionaires around the planet, I was involved in a party down in uh, Monaco, and it was to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Ferrari. 
When I say that anyone that was anyone and the richest, most powerful people in the planet, I'm on about these rooms owned things like countries. You know, it was, if you weren't in that party, you weren't one of the people. And I panicked. Now, here's the daft thing. For, for years prior to that, I had turned up to some of the most powerful people in the planet on a motorcycle, crash helmet in hand, sat down and started helping, started working, started invoicing. Never had a problem with it. But a couple of months prior to this event, that little doubt, the entrepreneurial little devil popped up and appeared on my shoulder and went, hang on, you're going down to the 50th anniversary of Ferrari like this? You know, you're going to go down by bike? You know, what's wrong with you? So literally, I, I got all scared. I got all panicky. And I went out and I got tailor-made suits. Uh, I got a bloody expensive watch, got an Audemars Piguet Royal Oak offshore. Um, I got, um, and I went in to grab a Ferrari. And they went, oh, yes, sir, these are the Ferraris. And they had like the 388s and the 348s and the newer breed of that time, Ferraris. And then they had a Connoisseur collection. And these were the vintage Ferraris. And they had a 72 Dino there. And I went, well, what's that? And they said, well, sir, you know, these are for people that like Ferrari. Well, when you come over to here, these are for the connoisseurs. You know, these are the people that understand. And I went, that's my car. And I bought a 72 Dino and I drove down to this event and I went into this party. I was part of it. I was handling it. Um, and then I came out and here's the daft thing. It was on a yacht. Next to this yacht was another yacht. And so I reversed my car up to this yacht that I had nothing to do with. And I got my wife to take pictures of me leaning up against this yacht. And I thought, damn, I've got a brilliant setting in the back. I've got the harbor setting in Monaco. Got the Ferrari, the vintage Ferrari. I'm looking great. Sleeves slightly pulled up, doing the best Don Johnson Miami Vice that I could. And I get back to my home. Got rid of the suits, back in a black T-shirt, back bumbling around on a motorcycle. And I got the photographs of that event. Now, this was back in uh, 90, God, what was it? 97. So this wasn't, you know, digital period. So you had to get, you sent the roll of film off and you got the camera. There's some of those people out there that remember it. You get your photos back in the post sometime within the next three years. And so I got these pictures back and I, got, I started going through them. And I suddenly realized there wasn't one picture with me in it. There was this prick that had sold himself out, put on a pretty suit, bought a fancy watch, bought a fancy car, just to impress you. Everything I had purchased wasn't for me. It was for you. I was trying to buy your affection and attention. And it was very depressing for me. In fact, I went into a bender. I, I got very badly drunk. Um, some friends and my wife pulled me out of it and, and stood by me. Um, and I realized then, I'm not, I'm not going to sell myself out. If you like this, my directness, my bluntness, my transparency can help you. Let's carry on chatting. If I alienate, piss you off, and you don't want anything to do with me, turn off, walk away. We'll both be fine. But I was refusing to ever be misunderstood. You see, the worst people in the world are not those that love you, of course, are not those that hate you because they've made a decision. Is those people on the fence and you have control of that. You need to push them off one side or the other. Hey, do you want to play or piss off? You know, it's up to you. Get in, but we don't take any viewers here. 
And that's what I decided was going to happen. So I came back a stronger, more powerful person. But the bottom line of it all is that all entrepreneurs at one point in our life, we go, oh, my God, is this good enough? Can I do that? Should I really show? Oh, my God, I'm stood next to so-and-so. I'm all panicked. I really shouldn't be here. Why not? And that's what I came out of that with. So it was a very dark time in my life, but it was probably like all dark times and all mistakes and all failures, my biggest education. Yeah. And, and on that with, you know, your biggest education, you know, you talk a lot about failures and with what you've been able to do with your, with your business and like the kind of amazing things you've been able to put together. I'm sure there's been a lot of failures, but in your, in your book, you talk about the mindset then how you view failure and, and you look at it as discovery and education. Can you dive deeper into that? Yeah. And I want to tell you a funny little story about how the book came about, which I think will help your, your, your listeners understand as a poor lad from East London and sitting in the bar with all of my broke mates, I realized I was a, I, I was a cog of that room. You know, they say you are a combination of the five friends you hang around with. I realized that with all my mates being broke ass bikers, guess what I was. So I literally went out to try and change the room physically. Now this was back in the eighties and nineties, quite simply, you want to change your mindset or your room today, join a Facebook group, listen to podcasts, listen to this one. You've got many, many chances to do this, but then I didn't. So my rooms that I would change and I would go to like um, wine bars. I would go to expensive restaurants and just sit at the bar. I would hang out in expensive lobbies of, of hotels and stuff just to see how rich people handle and how they discussed it. Along the way, started conversations and then go, oh, you want to go to a nightclub? Oh, I know a few. I became the guy that helped rich people. And it started off by getting them into nightclubs, got bigger and bigger and bigger. I ended up sending them down to the Titanic. I ended up sending them to Elton John's Oscar party, fashion weeks in Milan and, and, and Paris. You know, I became, as Forbes called it, the real life Wizard of Oz for the millionaires and billionaires. But I didn't want to. See, I'm not warm and fuzzy. You've got that by now. I'm not there to kind of like put up with your shit. I really don't care what you had for dinner last night or what you binge watched on Netflix or what your cat's name is. I don't give a fuck. What I wanted to do was I wanted to find out how come, and I got it wrong, how come, are you, how come you're rich and I'm not? Those were the first questions I would literally ask affluent people. Hey, Johnny, you know, I'm glad you like. I would always satisfy their need for something. Because if I can satisfy something they want, I have that engagement. And then I'd go, hey, Jimmy, how come you're rich and I'm not? And I would ask in a jokey manner like that, but I wanted the answer. The reason this was a bad question is because if I ask you, how come you're rich and I'm not, your mind straight away goes to your bank account. It straight away goes to your financial numbers, doesn't it? Okay. So then I went, eh, I don't want to know how big your bank account is. I don't care you got $10 million in there. I care how I can get $10 million. So I realized, wrong question. So the next questions I was asking, hey, hey Jimmy, I hope you like, like, by the way, let me ask you, how come you're wealthy and I'm not? Now, the trouble is when you ask people about wealth, they start talking about family and charity and religion. And how, great, good for you. Not giving me any tidbits. Good, you've got a great wife. She ain't mine, not helping. So... Again, it was the wrong question. So then I went back and I started saying to him, okay, and I tweaked the question. I said to him, how come you're successful and I'm not? And that was my home run. 
by asking them how successful they are, now I started to get the tactics. People were like, well, I do this before I look at a contract. I do this. When I look at a project, this is how I view it. I started to get my gold. So launching the world's leading uh, experiential concierge firm in the planet and working with billionaires uh, and trillionaires throughout the planet, um, it was a Trojan horse. It was a Trojan horse. Hey, if I can get you a drum lesson with Guns N' Roses, you'll be so happy. You'll take me out for dinner and for an hour, I can interview you. It's almost like doing a podcast. You know, I can find out, how do you view this? Why did you do this? How did you start this? I would interview these people because I had their engagement. A lot of my clients were like, my God, doing business like you is like being paid to do an interview. I pay you to interview me. And so I was like, yeah, yeah. And I made a joke. But that was what I wanted. So I never tried launching a concierge industry. It just happened. And it did very, very, very well. And then the, we get to the answer of the book now. So then I got contacted in a party. And they said, hey, we've heard about you. Um, we run a publishing company. We, you should write a book. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. And literally a week later, I got a contract. For any of you out there that are trying to write a book and you're doing the manuscripts and you're submitting it to agents and you're submitting it, I'm sorry. I didn't do any of that shit. I went to a, public, a, I went to a party, had a few drinks, told a story, got a contract. Um, and so they turned around and they said, we want you to do this book on all the rich and powerful people that you've worked with and what you've done for them. And I said to them, if I did that, I'd be dead by cocktail hour. So I don't think that book's going to see the light of day not doing that. Because I work with some colorful characters, okay? Um, so then I carried on about my life, and I did a, I did a, um, a speech, uh, I think it was for Joe Polish at the Genius Network. And someone apparently got hold of this video, sent it over to him, and they went, hang on a minute, Steve. Do you remember we offered you that contract? And I went, yeah. And they said, we want to tweak it. Instead of asking the people do you deal with, we want to know how does a bricklayer from London suddenly start working with the, the Vatican and Andrea Bocelli? How do you do it? And I thought to myself, I don't really know. I just do. And so they gave me a ghostwriter and she interviewed me and she wrote the chapters. And then they gave me a contract for a retainer. And I went back because a friend of mine is Jay Abraham. And uh, Jay was like, you've got to ask for mine. He guided me into this manipulation of my contract because, again, I'm a great believer that I don't know what I don't know. So if I want to know something, I'm going to look at my Rolodex. I'm going, who do I know that's an expert in that? Ask them. Don't think you know it because that's a dangerous position to be in. Always understand you don't know what you don't know. So find out who that does. So I went to Jay and I went, Jay, got this book contract. What should I do? And I went down to his house and we got drunk. I don't know how much business we talked about. But I ended up, thanks to him, getting quite simply a disgusting retainer. Um, I think now with COVID and now with publishing houses falling down, um, I don't think anyone's going to get, unless you're Michelle Obama or, or getting another book from Barack Obama or something like that, my retainer was disgusting, okay? And that's a good thing because when you write a book, you usually write a book to sell copies. So you dilute the text. You make sure the copy can reach a wider audience because you make money 
from selling the book. Well, just imagine if you don't have to make any money on the book. Just imagine if you've got paid so much money, you don't care if it sells two copies. Now, you want it to sell. That's a different position. But you don't need it to sell. So now I was able to go, ah, I get to write the book I want to write. I'm now going to tell you all the stories, all the tactics, all the techniques. Don't color it. Don't make them. Don't fill it up with big words because I can't say big words. Let alone spell them. So just make it about me, from me, to help you. And that's the book I put out there. And the first couple of months, <laughs> um, it did really bad. Uh, and in fact, funny enough, the, uh, the publishing house said to me, you've got to do a book launch. And they said, you've got to go down to like the Barnes and Noble and on a Saturday afternoon, sign copies. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. That's not my style at all. So um, if you go to, and you can't buy anything, so it's not a, it's not a financial plug. But if you go to stevedsims.com, D for dashing and one M in Sims, stevedsims.com, scroll down just a little bit. You'll see a video there from the launch of my book launch. Now, I didn't shoot that video. Sonia had a, um, filmed it without my knowledge. So at the beginning of the video, she's interviewing people there like Greg Reed, Jim Quick, all of these people. And she, that will saying really nice things about me because that's sober. And then as the night gets on, everyone's drunk and it gets very, very abusive. So when the book came out, in one month, I sold 400 copies. Now, in the world of publishing, especially the fact that my book came out with one of the biggest publishing houses in the planet, selling 400 uh, copies is borderline pathetic. It is borderline an insult. Okay, they sell 400 copies of toilet roll, you know. So for my book to get so little was very embarrassing. Second month, I think it was 300 and something. And then what I did was I put that video out to show how I did a book launch. And then it sold 8,000 copies. And it just hockey sticked. And now it's been translated and become a bestseller in um, Thailand, Vietnam, China, uh, South Korea, um, uh, Poland, and it's just been released in Russia. So it's just gone nuts. And I'm getting people all over the planet saying, you know, we're doing stuff that's simple and stupid because you gave me permission to do it. And that's the thing. The stuff I do is not hard. I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I'm definitely one of the most impactful. And so the book was there to help you do more impact. I wanted to get people to do stuff with this book, basically to create a world that I wanted to live in. So talk about some of like the, the failures you had along the way. Cause again, like with the education, cause like in that book, one you do, you do a lot of reframing in terms of like mindset, which I love. Cause you talk about wealth versus dollars, which you, which you brought up. And then you also talked about, um, there's a couple other things I really want to dive in deeper into, but can you talk about the, the mindset behind how you view failure? Yeah. I walked into a party with someone very famous and as we walked into the party, um, they turned around and see you later, Claire. Um, sorry, my wife. Um, and uh, they said, oh, great. It's a room full of failures. And in this room were people like Jean-Paul de Jouria and uh, Richard Branson. And I'm thinking, that's not very nice. You know, why, why did you say that? And he said, no, look at it. He said, everyone in this room 
is a serial failure. This is, there, this is where you want to be because this is where the education is. And I suddenly went, oh, yeah, they're all serial. Elon Musk is a serial failure. You, you know and love and revere him because of PayPal, Tesla, SpaceX. But how many times has he failed at everything else? You look at Apple. You, you've watched the movie. You've read the book. How many operating systems of Apple did they build that failed? How many computers did they design that no one buys? Okay? But when you get it right, no one cares. Okay? So I love the fact that they allowed the failure to refine them, resharpen them, and not define them. It was an education. I've noticed when something goes wrong for, an, for a successfully minded person, and this is a lesson for anyone out there, get your pen, get your paper, you need this item, okay? Successful people have things go wrong for them, have failures, have mistakes. But what they do with every single one of those is they lean into it physically, and they go, where did it go wrong? Where did it not give me what I wanted? And they look for that. Because nothing, it's like when people go, oh, everything went wrong. No, it didn't. Maybe the concept was good. Maybe the positioning was good. Maybe the marketing was good. Maybe there was a bottleneck here that caused it to go wrong. You know? So, so that's what they do. They lean into where the problem is. And that's what I like. I, tell, I say, whatever happens in your life, successful people lean into the problem and go, okay, where did this go wrong and where can I avoid it? You very rarely trip on the same curb twice. So if you can get educated, you can go, okay, next time I do that, if I can tweak this, ah, didn't work. Okay, so let me tweak it again. Ah, it's getting better. Let me tweak it. Bingo. Elon Musk. Let me pick on him for a second. He worked out that one of the most expensive things about using rockets to go up in the space was those bloody great fuel cells that got jettisoned off. And we've all seen it, you know, the, the fuel cell jet, and then it floats around a space junk. He thought, well, hang on, if I can get that to land on a floating pad in the ocean, I can fill the bloody thing up again, bolt it to a rocket, and it can go up again. Saves me tens of hundreds of millions of dollars by using a reusable fuel cell okay great primitive concept very very simple makes total sense how many times did you see it start to land on that floating platform and then fall over and explode did you ever see that on the news no it was over here it was I, we saw it a lot and then all of a sudden didn't see it anymore why didn't we see it anymore because he got it right you see, it doesn't matter how many times shit goes wrong. When it goes right, it's gone right. That's all that matters. And that's what we've got to focus on. You've got to look on everything that you're doing. When it goes south, when it's not going to plan, go, well, okay, I've just learned how not to do it. Tweak that. I'll get there. And once you've got it right, no one else cares. And this is one of those other things you've got to understand. Failure creates education. Education is experience experience creates confidence and credibility and when you're credible you can invoice simple as that man that is that's that's beautiful man that's that's incredible uh I, man i appreciate like this the, the wealth of stories and just like uh you'd be able to explain that so one 
at one point in your book, right? One thing I really appreciate about you is like, you're very focused on relationships and you're very focused on, on principles. And in one part of your book, you talk about saying no. And there was one part that really stood out to me. And I really am excited to ask you this because you talked about how you were at some event and like, there was this like top sales rep and there was another guy who really wanted to connect with him. So the sales rep took the guy to the bar and said to them, Hey, I don't mean you any disrespect, but I can sure assure you that there's something different between our characters that isn't going to work well. I don't mean you any disrespect, but we're never going to be friends. I'm curious as far as how would you go about that with maybe relationships that you've been trying to make click, but just have never gotten to click. And you're like, and in the back of your head, you're like, you know, yeah, we're, we're never going to be friends. It doesn't make sense. How would you go about tackling that situation now? Tackling what? What? Let's break that down. Tackling what element of it? Tackling it from the sensitivity of ending it to the person that you're chatting with or the, um, the sensitivity to yourself and the decision to yourself to go no further? Break it down a little bit more. Which one are you looking for or both? Yeah, you know, it would it would be more so about the sensitivity of the other person because I feel this. I'm like, yeah, it, I don't think this is gonna this doesn't make sense for us to continue on with our friendship right. or relationship. Yeah. Okay. All right. So here's a couple of things. If there is stress and there is effort in a relationship, you don't have a relationship. You see, how hard is it for you to go down and have a coffee with your best mate? It's not, is it? It's very easy because there's no effort in it, okay? How much effort have you used when you're talking to someone on the phone that you don't really like? You know, you're on the phone, you're going, uh, yeah, no, no, I understand where you're coming from, but if, if we did it, no, 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 you, you, you're right, and you end up doing that. You do the little petty dance, okay? And then you get off the phone and you're exhausted. You've used a lot of energy chatting with someone that you don't get on with, and that's because there was an effort. Here's the funny thing. What you're feeling, the other person is more than likely feeling as well. So how rude is it for me to consume your time? You can make more money. You can get fatter. You can get slimmer. But you can't get your time. You cannot earn more time. You can't order a bucket of it from Amazon. So what's ruder? Me turning around and going, hey, look, we, we've been trying to chat with each other for a while, and I just don't feel as though you're probably feeling the same as well, so I'm not going to try anymore. You know, if something changes in the future and we become different people, maybe, but, you know, let's just say, hey, we gave it a shot, but from here on, go about your business, I'll go about mine. Or is it ruder for me to string you along and take up your hours by trying to enter into a relationship with you've already qualified isn't going anywhere. What's the ruder? I'm going for the ladder there. So when you're, when you're dealing with someone, and I've had this, I've gone, hey, I understand what you're looking for, but you know, we're not the right people. You know, we're not clicking here. I've had a conversation with you for 30 minutes and it's not clicking. Um, so with all due respect, I'm going to send you an email and I'm going to send you a few people that I think may be better suited for your goal, for your project. Okay. All the best. You know, I want to value my time. You see, we're all going to end up in the exact same place. We're all going to end up in the dirt. 
I don't want to waste any of my arrowage putting up with people that I cannot connect with. When we jumped on this podcast, and I joked about it, but I said to you, if this ain't interesting, I'm gone. I said that to you, didn't I? Right at the beginning yeah. of the podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I was just thinking about that as you were talking too. I meant it. You know, there's only been one person that I actually went, hang on, all right, stop the podcast. If we're to do this podcast and we continue, you've got to be more engaging. You know, I realize it's your show. You've got your tone. But let's try and pick, because I'm telling you, I'm having an effort here and I should be having an effort. I'm chatting with you now and we're, we're having a cool conversation and hopefully changing your people to do something different. And I hope that, I hope they're insulting me. I hope they're uh, jeering me. And I hope they're sitting there going, jeepers, if that bloody guy can do it, I can. Because that's what I want. I want people to look at me not as someone to, to you know, uh, you know, revere or kind of like stick on any freaking, you know, soapbox. I want them to look at me and go, bloody hell, well, if that bloke can do it, I'm already out of excuses. Here goes. That's the response I'm hoping to get. And that's why we're having this conversation. But if there was any effort in it, guarantee you, I would have stopped it. Now, in the case of the podcast I told you about, he tried again. We had to stop it again. I said, this ain't working for me or you. I got half hour left. I ain't going to be wasting it. So all the best. And I hung up. Now, that may sound rude, but again, I ask you, what's ruder? For me to give a bad performance, low energy, stress on a show and alienate and waste thousands of people's time or switch off? Simple as that. that that's, that's amazing, man. You know, because like, man, I, I appreciate but why that. is it amazing? See, this is, this is what's pissing me off. Really, I know you're being polite, but why is it amazing? Isn't that how we should all be? Shouldn't we all literally just value our time? Because I'm telling you, in interviewing the successful people that I have, that was the number one thing that came up. They value their hours more than non-successful people because they can make more money, but they can't get that hour back. So they will literally hold a 10-minute meeting. Why is this a deal that I should get involved in? You know, the schematics, the backgrounds, the mechanics, hey, that's other people's departments. They want to know in 10 minutes, why is this a job for me? You know, why should I do this? We should all value it. It's nothing impactful. It's nothing new. But I guarantee you, if you decide I'm not going to waste half an hour of my life ever again, my God, the impact. And when you create that impact, when you start creating that success, when you start creating that drive and direction, because you're now valuing your time, the byproduct of that is what I lined up earlier. The failure, the education, the experience, the confidence, the credibility, and the invoicing. Your failures will suddenly become education that you can impart on somebody else, and that's invoiceable. You see, when you buy a diet book, you don't get thin. You get thin by actioning what the diet book tells you to do. When you start having a successful mindset, your bank account grows, okay? You don't just wake up one morning and go, hey, I'm going to be rich. You wake up in the morning and you start actioning. The actioning will allow you to become rich. So a successful mindset, the byproduct is you buy a house in the hills with a load of motorbikes. <laughs> and is like the, so like the success mindset really boils down to really sticking through with well, obviously, take like, your time is your most important thing because once you run out of time, 
that's it. And also not putting, because you, you talked about this as well towards the end of the book, as far as not being so, I guess not the way I interpreted it was like money. You said like living by principles over, I won't say principles over money because I think the principles are the byproduct or the, the money is the byproduct of you living. The money's the byproduct, yes. Okay, yeah. So not going to lie, that that really did, um, that caught me off guard. <laughs> so. <laughs> good, good. Don't, and, and how does that feel? How does that feel to not be in control? It feels uncomfortable. Isn't that where the growth is? You see, I literally, I live for that moment. I'm racing a motorcycle on Monday uh, up in Northern California, a place called Laguna Seca. I will tell you now that at the time of this interview, it were days away from me going, and I'm crapping myself, okay? I am nervous because I'm going to get on the grid. I'm going to wind a bike up to 180 mile an hour, and then I'm going to slide my knee going around a corner of which any single one of those could buck me off. And it frightens me. It gets me uncomfortable, but I have to push through that fear. I take, uh, and I, I hope, where, where are you, by the way? I'm in Riverside, California. Right, then I'm holding you to the fire now, man. Um, I take entrepreneurs three times a year up to Kern Level 4 Maximum Security Prison. It's about uh, an hour and a half north of Los Angeles. And so far, I've taken over 100 entrepreneurs and I charge them $500 to spend a day in prison with me. Now, they don't pay me. They pay that to the charity uh, that's putting this together. But I've taken over 100 entrepreneurs to get inside a prison and to communicate and educate and teach inmates on how to take that hustle into legal productive businesses when they get outside. If you want to get over being uncomfortable, if you want to be able to grow in your confidence, let me put you in a position where you are uncomfortable talking with people that you would never normally be interacting with. And here's a funny thing, leaving at the end of the day, considering some of those as friends, okay? That's what I do. I love living in an uncomfortable state because you never, it's the elastic band. You never go back to the original position. If I can get you uncomfortable and you go, yeah, okay. Yeah, I've got that. You become stronger, you become bigger. I always say, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And you, you know, the biggest thing that I felt like I got from your book is like that, just like that true authenticity, even though in the book, you don't really like the word authenticity because it's used so much. much yeah. It's branding. Yeah. A hundred percent. But yeah, you know, that. That sounds, that sounds terrifying, but where I am at in my life, I'm actually, I bought a one-way ticket down to London to meet up with my business partner and it's fucking scary as shit. Right. And I'm like, I, I, I feel like I jumped out of an airplane with like, I'm hoping I'm like pulling levers, hoping this parachute releases before I splat on the ground. It's terrifying, <laughs> but you know, like, and this is, this is, I'm not trying to blow smoke up your ass or anything like that, but like your, your book. Cause like, I'm like money, how do I, you know, I'm like scrabbing for money, but I feel that I've moved away from my true self and my true voice inside. And, and when I'm listening to, him, I'm like, you know what? There's certain things that I got to do 
to to get stuff off my head as far as like employment and, and all this other stuff. But um, I just want to say this, uh, just thank you for you fucking putting me in that position because it's never happened before. Good. Then I'm then I'm pleased. But again, you can only you can only provide the opportunity. Someone's actually got to jump through the gate and take it. Um, and you did. So I'll 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 take the uh, I'll take the smoke. I'll take the adulation. I'll take the the clapping. But at the end of the day, you were the boy that actioned it. So congratulations to you. Thank you, man. I also want to know because you're you're good at you've made the impossible happen, right? The quote unquote impossible. You've done like incredible stuff. Like what? is it for you and what you've done? Like, well, what is, what is it that you look forward to or something that maybe you haven't done just yet that you're like, I really want to make that happen myself. We well, see funny enough up until about three years ago, you know, when the book came out, my job was to basically make billionaires more interesting by giving them amazing stories and experiences. When the book came out, I twisted and now I start coaching, teaching, educating, to get entrepreneurs to do it for themselves. Um, you see, if I can get an entrepreneur to think differently, market differently, brand differently, do differently, his job's more secure, which means his family's more secure, which means the workforce is more secure. I'm getting a lot of joy out of that. I don't care. You know, I still ride motorcycles. I'm always in a black T-shirt. You know, I've got tattoos and piercings, drink too much whiskey. You know, that's my life. And I don't want to change it. You know, it's pretty damn fine. I have no care about going to the Oscars. I have no care about walking some bloody red carpet in Monaco. I have no care about those kind of things. Done them all, and they didn't interest me then. But what I do like doing now is shaking up people, daring them to try something different, getting them uncomfortable, and continuing. I run speakeasies. Um, I have an online community, Sims Distillery, but I'm there to challenge people. And I get people that sign off or unsubscribe because they don't want to be challenged. I've had people go, I get too uncomfortable and I'm not ready. And I'm like, fine, let us know when you are, you know, as if you'll ever be ready to be uncomfortable. But, you know, that's what I like to do now. That's my passion. So it's just more of like this, the actions instead of like, you're looking for some kind of future result. Right yeah, now. I'm not looking. Yeah, for me, I, I, I have no star celeb kind of, uh, I want to do this. You know, this is my bucket list. I can't believe the shit that I have got up to over my years. Um, now I get immense pleasure when I see two people that I've introduced and coached launch a business. When I see people suddenly start doing a podcast, when people suddenly start being, it stopped being intimidated by the stupid shit that doesn't matter. You know, um, that's what uh, impresses and makes me happy. So I really, in my final half of my life, I'm 55. I'm there to kind of like, um, I don't know kick it in, take no prisoners and uh, get people doing differently. Yeah. And, you know, one, one thing that I talk a lot about with my own community and my podcast is the importance of surrounding yourself around the right people. And you mentioned genius network. What are like the, maybe the biggest things that you've received from paying for a high level mastermind like that? Well, Actually, that's a good point. And you, you bring it up. Um, Joe Polish is a uh, very dysfunctional individual. Um, he's a very weird, um, ugly little man. Um, and I know he'll absolutely adore me saying that. Uh, Joe's one of these people that had a big impact on my life. Um, for a start, I believe 
if you don't pay, you don't pay attention. Okay. Um, so we all pay. Even if we go, oh, I'm not paying for that. And then you go and try and do it and it fails. You've just, you, it's just cost you money or worse still it's cost you time. Okay. So you pay the shortcut. Um, the good thing about any group, like I have my own group, shallow plug, the speakeasy. Okay. Um, and I'm there to get people together that can come your support system, your community. I had it with Joe. I had it with Roland Frazier. I had it with Jay Abraham. I'm constantly looking for people that can help me challenge myself. And when I get good at something, and bear in mind, all entrepreneurs are shit. The first time you do anything as an entrepreneur, it will be shit compared to what it'll be like 12 months later when you've continued with it. So when I'm being trained on something and I start off bad and then I get proficient and then I get invoiceable and then it's kind of, okay, I'm, I'm, I've got it now. I change my coach. I change my mentor. I change the source of my education. So I'm always looking for great growth. I think Joe Polish runs a great group in the Genius Network, the 25K Club. He has an annual event. Obviously, COVID's kicked it out, but it'll be back in force next year. Um, it's a phenomenal group. Um, I, I'm always there. So if you see me, bring a couple of bucks and you can buy me an old-fashioned at the bar. Um, but uh, I love Joe Polish's 25K. And I take the piss out of Joe because I love the guy. Um, and I'll always take the piss out of him because of that. Man, that, that sounds so awesome. Because one thing I, I really admire about Joe is he's about – it's all about like addiction recovery. Mm -hmm. As far as like with the with the group, how much does he integrate that in that mastermind? Is it is it big or is it kind of subtle undertones? It's <laughs> I don't think you could ever use the word subtle with Joe. Um, the thing about Joe, and it's a very interesting way that you've put this. Do you have anyone in your family or in your circle? that suffers with addiction? Me. Joe puts a lot of things out there, and he who needs hears what he needs to hear. Now, that sounded deep. I should probably write that down for an Instagram posting. But the point is with Joe, Joe's had a very interesting life of addiction. But it's not all he talks about. There are people out there that are going, oh, I want to be a better businessman. He talks about business. Oh, I want to be a better marketer. He talks about marketing. But addiction isn't just drugs and um, alcohol. Addiction can be Netflix. Addiction can be Peloton. You know, addiction is anything that you use as a crutch too much. The reason I asked you that question, and thank you very much for being honest with me, is because what's important to you, you will hear first. Joe talks about addiction because that was his life. It resonated with you. That's what you went to. But if you went to one of his 25K clubs, if anyone out there is thinking, hey, if I go to the Genius Network annual event, am I just going to have two days of him talking to me about addiction? No. It may well be one of the elements because it's what Joe went through to get to what he had. But again, we are all addicted. I wasn't aware of how addicted I was to my business until he educated me on what addiction actually was and how to break that cycle by, first of all, recognizing it. So, um, 
yeah, so I hope that gives a, a better, broader overview. But thank you very much for being honest uh, about yourself on the addiction. Yeah, of course. You know, and, and what you mentioned there is basically it's the RAS, right? It's a reticular activation system. Is like, oh, that's I hear that because it's a part, it's a big part of my life. And I'm sure someone who's a marketer or in business probably hear like, yeah, he's really good at marketing. Yeah. Same thing with like Dean Jackson, that that totally makes sense. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's weird. It's weird. You know, I don't want to say he's smart because that would make him big headed and I can't put up with that anymore. <laughs> um, but um, between me and you, he is. Between, just between us. Just between us. Don't tell anyone else. Just mute. Edit that bit out. Otherwise, he'll get real cocky. <laughs> so one thing you, you talk about, like a, a huge principle with, with blue fishing is have the relationship you want to have with your colleagues, clients, community, friends and family. Um, can you talk a little bit about why that is the most important thing for blue fishing? As I grew up, one of the terms I kept hearing was ROI. Okay. Return on investment. You put this amount of money in Facebook ads and you get this come out. You put this amount of money into an event, you sell enough tickets, you get this out. You put this amount of money into your know, marketing and branding, you get this amount of clients. That's your ROI. It didn't sit with me. And I like relationships. I also like being lazy. And so I didn't want to exert too much energy. And more importantly, effort. Um, if I can have a conversation with someone and there's no effort, I'm going to stick with it. And here's something funny about uh, the effort and energy. And my... My thing that I teach, R-O-E, your return on energy and effort, okay? So if you go along, and we've already had this conversation, but we're going we're gonna to uh, tweak it. I said to you, you have a conversation with someone on the phone or in person, and it's a strain to you. It's hard to have that conversation, to get your point across. And at the end of the conversation, you're tired and worn out, aren't you? Yeah. You don't have another conversation. In fact, you avoid people for the next hour because you've got to recover from that taxing conversation you just had with that person. What happens when you meet your mates? The jokes are flowing. The connection's easy. You're getting on. Everything's good. Everything's vibrant. At the end of the conversation, are you not pumped? You know, are you not excited? That was a good night. Oh, Jimmy, I... I love Jimmy. You know, you're all pumped. You see, something I noticed, if I focused on people that gave me no effort or energy to communicate with, that I liked and could relate with, somewhere, and I don't know medical terms, but somewhere along the lines, I was getting re-energized. And so just imagine if you deal with 10 people you love, admire, relate to, commit to, you're pumped every day. You know, I've had moments, I've, I've had events where I've gone on, haven't been able to sleep through the night because I'm just high as a kite, you know, just like, oh, what a night. And then I had that conversation, then this happened. And then what happens is you pick up a phone with a prospect and the prospect is working out, should I take Steve Sims on to coach me? And you're pumped because you've just had 20 phone calls or conversations with people you love. 
Are you not given a positive, confident uh, reaction to that prospect? And you pick up the phone and you go, hey, how are you doing? So what's wrong with you and what have we got to disrupt? And they're like, oh, um, well, I can't hear you. Speak up there, Sonny. You know, all of a sudden you're heavily energized and they're like, I need this. You know, I've had people say to me on the phone, no. They've gone, hey, you know, thank you very much for your time, but I don't think this is going to work. And I'm going, that's great. I wish you all the best. If you need any recommendations, send me an email. I'll see if I can find someone else for you. And they've gone, great. And they've hung up. And then they've come back to me and they've gone, do you know, it's gone by an hour. And the only thing I can think about is you. I'm so pumped and energized from that phone call. I need that. And they've gone, great. Sign on the dotted line. Let's get going. So the ROE, it's your return on effort and energy that you actually dissipate, that you give out. But if you can keep it really low and take no energy and all you're doing is getting bolstered, you become superhuman. And the easiest way to do that is to stop what you're doing. This may sound really silly, but here's a strange concept for you. It takes zero effort and zero energy for me to be me. I could do it every day. Do you know, I woke up this morning, I was me. I didn't have to put it on. I didn't have to dial it in. I didn't have to kind of like rehearse that fake British accent that I got off eBay. Didn't have to do any of that, you know? I could just be me. And again, as I said to you before, you're going to love it or you're going to get a bunch of people that have already turned off and they're going over there making our cappuccino. But I would imagine 49 minutes into our podcast, we've got no one on the fence. There is no one sitting there going, do I like this guy or not? I can't understand what he's trying to say. I think he's got a hidden meaning. No. Joe taught me years ago, there's a difference between being easy to understand and impossible to misunderstand. Wow. There goes 100% with the, with the transparency. You, we're, we're wrapping up here. You know, we got about 10 minutes left. You reminded me of a story in, in your book with the, the life insurance guy with the passion and, and persistence. And for our people out there, it's not necessarily the, the life insurance example, but it's the principles underneath it, which is when he tells us, or cause you were talking about when you were driving away and like when he was, when he was thinking in his head and what, relating that the to story? their own business. What was that? Tell the story. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's funny because I don't think I've ever been asked in a podcast about that story. It's funny what resonates with different people. You can put up 10 stories, just like the addiction thing. You can put up 10 things and people will select what they want to hear. Um, but I was trying to be an insurance salesman. Can you imagine this knocking on your door at eight o'clock in the night talking about life insurance? You'd think I was a made man connected to the mafia or something. It was a threat. Um, so I went along with this guy that was training me. And the way that it worked is they would take all these questions and, you know, the policies you had, they would go off, they would calculate any kind of holes you've got in your policies, your life insurance, your, your medical, your disability, all those kind of things. And they would come back to you a week later with the answers and the solutions. And they would sit down and they would promote it to you and sell insurance products. Okay. You got paid a commission by selling insurance products. Let's not color it up as anything it wasn't. So I went along 
with this guy that was training me. And he sits down and he says, look, you know, two weeks ago, we got together and we went through what your goals were, what you were hoping for. We talked about what would happen in your death, what you would get, what would happen in your disability, what you would get, what would happen in case of a, of a medical emergency, what you would be supported by. Based on all that information, we've come up with these solutions, blah, 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 blah. There it is. That's what you need. That's what you need to fill the holes in. These are the best policies for you. There you go. Now, I've obviously shortened that because that was like a 30-minute conversation where we outlined what needed to be done to, to cover up all the holes. And this couple looked at him and they went, this all sounds great. Thank you very much for doing it. Um, we'll get back to you, you know. And he went, that's fantastic. And he reaches into his briefcase, pulls out a newspaper, leans back, starts reading this newspaper. Now, he's got the newspaper high that he can't even see the people. And he's, I swear he was humming to himself. He's reading the newspaper. Now, I'm sat there. I don't have a newspaper. <laughs> These two people are looking at me, wondering what the hell's going on. And he's reading the newspaper. And I'm like, uh... And she turns around and she said, um, excuse me. And he, he lowers just a corner of the paper to look at her. And he says, yes. And she said something like, um, well, we'll, we'll, you know, when we get some questions, uh, we'll, we'll reach out. And he said, that's great. And he puts the paper back up again and continues reading. So then the guy decides to flex and he's like, excuse me. And he, again, doesn't fold the whole paper down, but just leans it over a bit. And he's like, yes. And he said, um, what are you doing? And so then the guy folds the paper up and he said, look, two things are going to happen. You're going to have questions. No doubt. You're going to have questions. You're either going to be able to have, get those answers or you're going to forget and life's going to take over and you're going to forget about these problems. But these problems aren't going to go away. So I'm going to sit here and I'm going to read a newspaper while you two chat, work out your questions, and then you can ask me and I'll be able to give you the answers. Until then, I'm going to read my newspaper. You okay with that? And he pulls the newspaper back up again. They had a quick little chat. They had a couple of questions and they signed up on the dotted line. Now, I walked out of that room going, that was the best salesman I've ever seen. That guy sold shitloads of insurance that, like, that night. The commission he got out of that, he's buying himself a new car. Oh, my God, this guy's my idol. He's such a great salesman. And we're driving down the road, and I went, oh, that was brilliant. And he's like, good, good. I, I hope you got stuff out of it. I said, are you kidding? That was fantastic. He said, how you managed to sell that stuff? I said, that was brilliant. You're going to make a lot of money out of that. He stamped on the brakes and pulled the car over. He said, did you think that's what I was doing? I went, yeah, you just sold shitloads of insurance and you just made a lot of money. Isn't that what the job is? He said, that guy's going to die. And the last thing he thinks about will not be having to worry if his wife's okay. He's going to have an injury where he is disabled and can't earn a living. And he's never going to have to worry if the wife's going to be able to afford to put the lights on. He said something's going to happen to one of them and the kids are still going to get to go to college. He said, I was in there making sure that those bad moments never happened. That's what I'm going to sleep with tonight. 
And I realized he was solving a problem. The byproduct was he got paid a lot of money, but he was solving someone's problem by making them uncomfortable enough to see it. See, a lot of people have life insurance. I die, wife gets this. Great. What if you lose both your legs? Me, I'm a speaker, a trainer, and a coach. What if I have a throat injury on my motorcycle and I can't talk? My business is over. I don't get life insurance because I'm not dead. He made them aware of a problem and he solved the problem so it never had to be in the future. I didn't see it until that moment. That's powerful. So, Steve, I appreciate your time coming on here, man. Where can people find more information if they like what they heard and they want to continue the journey along with you? Well, I'm easier to get than COVID. Um, <laughs> you can find me at stevedsims.com. It's D for dashing, only one M in Sims. Uh, I've got a free Facebook group called An Entrepreneur's Advantage with Steve Sims. Um, but I also have my own private community at simsdistillery.com. Or you can really just go and stare at my lovely quotes and what I get up to on Instagram at Steve D Sims. Beautiful. Again, thank you, Steve, so much. I hope you guys got some great stuff from this episode. We'll be talking soon.